So what is Valentine's Day really about? Love. Teddy bears. Teddy bears. <laughs> all right, so, so love. Yeah, we all associate Valentine's Day with love. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about love? <laughs> oh, don't worry. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, Jesus, there you go. So Valentine's Day is, is love. So what do you, th- so for love, personally, I really hate the word love. Hey! I said, personally, I really hate the word love. Why, you might ask. Yeah, thank you, John. The reason I hate the word love is not because I'm single. It's because we overuse it. You know, when we, we go out and we... Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, that's a good kind of love. But say, you use that kind of love, but you don't mean the same thing when you go to Taco Bell and stuff, say you love a chalupa. Oh, well, I'm sorry you don't love Taco Bell. But love is a very important theme in the Bible. In fact, I would argue that it's the main theme in the Bible. It's used so many times. In the King James Version alone, it's mentioned 311 times in 281 verses. And it's mentioned 552 times and 506 verses in the ESV. That's a lot of times it talks about love, and that's just mainly in the New Testament. So the Bible being all about love, we, when we use it in today's society, it's so torn apart. The Webster's Dictionary has nine different definitions of the word love in it. I mean, that's a lot for, for something that we use so commonly. So what does it really mean to love? You know, the Bible has several different meanings, and I hope to kind of explain the meanings of love in the Bible and how we can apply them to our lives. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time we have gathered here tonight, Lord. I will pray you open up our hearts to receive the true meaning of the word love, Lord. Let us understand what it means to share it, to feel it, and to just embody it, just like you embodied it when you were here on earth. Thank you, and we love you. Amen. So the Bible says that God is love. You know, from the moment of birth, humans crave love. You know, as soon as you're born, the first thing they do is they give you to your mother's arms so you can give, have that bond, that form that bond of love. Humans, it's necessary for every aspect of our lives. And without it, we're, we're nothing. Um, it's, it, the word love describes an emotion of vastly varying different degrees of intensity. And in the Bible, there are four specific ones it uses when it was written in Greek. The first one is called storge. And this refers to family love. That's that love that you have towards your brothers, your sisters, your parents. It's the love that binds you as a family. You know, it's talked about with Jacob and his sons. It's the love that Mary had for Jesus when, you know, he was a baby and as he grew up. And it's for Mary and Martha when they had for Lazarus. It's what you feel as a family. And it's a very important biblical theme that is through the Bible. You know, without family love, we would send into chaos and anarchy and humans would cease to exist, essentially. (laughs) Uh, The second one is philia, and this is brotherly love. This is the type of love that we're supposed to not only share in the body of Christ with each other, but with others. Uh, 
in John 13, 35, and there's nobody up there, is there? Hmm? There you go. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That is the filial love. That is the brotherly love that we are called to share with believers. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the most general type of love in the scripture. It's the love that we show towards each other with care and respect and compassion for other people of need. And this is the core theme of love that we're supposed to share as Christians, is love for other people. Uh, so for friendships, it's a kind that you base of experience. You know, you spend time with friends, you hang out with them, and you, as you learn to learn to get intimate with each other and open up to each other, you develop forms of friendship and forms of love. You know, we've shared, or they've shared Katie and Caitlin, or Caitlin and McKenna. This is the kind of love that develops over time. It's the kind that strengthens us, makes us stronger. But it's not only for the body of believers, it's for everybody. We're supposed to share this with, you know, people who aren't believers, our neighbors, kids at school, people you work with if you have a job. This is the kind of love that is essentially our mission in, as being as believers. The third type of love is eros, and this is the one you think about on Valentine's Day. This is the sensual or the romantic kind of love. Um, but in the Bible, it's very clear that this is really reserved for marriage. You know, even as young adults, we kind of that, have that relationship with, you know, a boy or a girl, and we go through, and we say, we're in love, but we really don't understand what true love really means. And when I say it's reserved for marriage, it's that, ki it's that kind of love that when two people truly love each other, when they know all each other's faults, when they know everything, you know, that's wrong with each other, their weaknesses, and they still choose to love people. But it's also that romantic kind of love, that kind of love where you try to better yourselves for them and you do things for them. It's not the selfish kind of love. But more importantly, we have to understand that we all desire that intimate relationship. You know, we all search for our soulmates, the person who we're going to spend the rest of our life with, you know. In the Bible, my, I think the best example of a soulmate, and it's one of my favorites, is, is Adam and Eve, you know. Uh, God created the earth in seven days, and he created man with it. And as he was looking over it, he realized that Adam was alone. You know, he didn't have anybody to be with. So God was like, I'm going to change that. Hey, Adam, why don't you go to sleep for a little while? And Adam's like, okay. Adam takes a nap. And while he's taking a nap, God reaches down and takes one of his ribs, ribs and creates woman. He creates a partner for him. You know, Adam wakes up and he goes, oh, whoa, man. <laughs> you know, it's that's that. And that's honestly soulmates. I mean, they were literally created for each other. And we all search, huh? Oh, and we all search for that. We all search for that intimate uh, relationship with somebody else. Um, <laughs> all right. So in that, a lot of people tend to associate that kind of love with sex, right? You know, if you love me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, they say, you know, if you love me, you'll have sex with me. And they, uh, they... No, people have said that. I'm not going to lie. I've been one of those people. I've been one of the people who talked to a girl and was like, if you love me, you'll have sex with me. I'm telling you, that's not the kind of love that it's talking about here. 
while that is respected in the Bible, we have to be careful not to let anyone capture our hearts before God captures it. Yeah. Yeah. But within the boundary of marriage, that kind of love is accepted. And then it's not only accepted, but it's encouraged. Uh, in Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, Solomon, who was the wisest man ever, he had wives, concubines, so he had a little bit of understanding of love. He writes, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. You know, it's encouraged. It, the Bible says a man will leave his father's household and join as one with his wife. We're supposed to do that, but we're supposed to do it within the confines of marriage. Because if we don't, bad things will happen. I mean, when they talk about two become one, it's not just a physical two become one. It's a spiritual thing, too. As someone who's done that and gone through deliverance, you know, when you join intimately with somebody, you attach emotions with them, feelings. There are spiritual bindings there that take place. All those things take place, and if you're not doing them in the confines of a holy, sacred marriage, the Bible is very clear that it's wrong. I mean, just think about it. If you give yourselves away too early to somebody, and then eventually down the road you meet somebody who you want to spend your rest of your life with, you want that arrow's deep connection with, you're going to have to sit there and explain to them that you weren't faithful, that you didn't wait for them. And it's going to break their hearts. I mean, I'm dreading that day that I'm going to have to tell my future wife, hey, I wasn't able to wait for you. I was a sinful, lustful person, and I'm sorry. And it's going to hurt both of us. Um, in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, if you guys haven't read it, I highly recommend reading it. It's, it's not, by <laughs> not by yourself. Get a parent to read it with you. But it is very passionate and erotic, and it's a very good example of love. But one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was reading it and studying it was it says, don't arouse or awaken love until the time is right. And that's in Song of Solomon's 2.7, and 8.4. It says it three separate times in that very, very short book. And if I've learned anything in the Bible, all of it's important. But if it says it twice, you should probably pay attention. If it says it three times, you might want to write it down, maybe tattoo it on your arm or something like that, because it's important. So the fact... Well, yeah, don't literally. Write it down, you know. I think the reason Solomon wrote it three times was because our affection for God can easily be vanished when our emotion for someone dominates, which should be our love for God. Um, he knew that the battle in our hearts to keep our love for God greater than our love for someone else, it's an unending battle, guys. And it, it, even when you are married, you still have to realize that you need to love God more than your spouse. And it can be hard sometimes. And love is a common denominator in how we relate to God, to others, or to ourselves. And like I said, as followers of God, love is our trademark. It is how we should be defined in this world, not, you know, how we reject people or all the rules. It should be, when people look at the church, they should say, wow, this is a group of people who just have love and compassion for everyone around them. Now, the fourth type of love, and this is easily the highest and the most important, is called agape love. And this is agape. Agape. That's the Greek word for it. How do you spell it? A-G-A-P-E. A-P-E. So, 
This term defines God's immeasurable love and incompatible or incomparable love for humankind. It's the divine love that comes from God. You know, it's unconditional, unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's perfect, it's pure. It's not uh, tainted with, you know, selfish emotion, selfishness or, or impurity or lust. It's, it's pure love. It's the kind of love that is described in John 3.16. It's the verse we all know very, very well. It's the staple for, every, for our faith. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the agape love in the Bible. You know, following Jesus' resurrection, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Uh, and he was referring to agape love. He asked him three times, uh, and when Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. The word he was using was the filial, the brotherly love. That agape love, that pure, unconditional love can only be achieved when we receive the Holy Spirit. You know, when we are purified and cleansed and we give our lives over to God, it comes in us. And that's when we can truly express agape love. I mean, look at Peter. When he went through Pentecost and received the Holy Spirit, he was able to show such a strong, powerful, agape type of love that in a day he was able to convert 3,000 people to love and they were able to receive that love and then it spread throughout the entire world. For Christians, love is the truest test of, test of genuine faith. You know, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, if you can do everything, I'll read it real quick. If you could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I have such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it all. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoice whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up and never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures throughout every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. It's very clear that, you know, without love, no matter what we do in this world, it'll all be for nothing. That's agape love, and it's the only kind of love that can come from God. You know, as I was reading this, and I was kind of thinking back on some of my past relationships, even when I was a believer and, you know, I followed the Lord, I was never truly able to embrace everything that this verse talks about love being. You know, I wasn't always patient. I wasn't always kind. I definitely didn't always tell the truth, but it's okay because we're not perfect. You know, we're human, and no matter how hard we strive to be perfect, we're always going to fall short. In our relationships, our goal is to find someone who commits to us, even in the bad times. But the truth of the matter is, the only person who can truly love us in that pure and holy way is God himself. You know, we, we can try and be, you know, uh, all these things, patient, kind, truthful, resilient, faithful, hopeless, endurance. But with sin, there's always going to be envy. You know, 
people always talk about, you know, oh, I'm jealous of this person, I'm jealous of that person. And people say, oh, jealousy is kind of cute. I'm telling you right now, jealousy is not attractive. It is hurtful and it destroys relationships. You know, boasting. People always boast, and oh, I got the prettiest person, but love doesn't do that. Love is humble. You know, it doesn't keep records of wrongs. You know, how many times are, you know, you're going to fight with somebody that you love and you bring up something they did in the past? You know, that's not true love. That's selfishness. The only person who is capable of truly loving us without fail is Jesus. And as believers, like I said, our goal is to go out and share that love with people. Now, everyone kind throughout the Bible, we discover how to experience love in its many forms. But everyone receives love differently, would you agree? Everyone gives, receives loves in a different kind of way. Um, Dr. Gary Chapman created a kind of manual, I would guess I would say, that kind of explained how people give and receive love in different ways. Uh, there's five main languages that people fall under the category of. Um, the first one would be gifts. So for some people, they like getting and giving gifts. You know, and in the Bible, it talks about, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He delights when you give people things that make them sparkle, that they are physical representations of how much you love them. Um... This is my dad's love language. You know, it's not the one I speak. I, gifts to me don't really mean a whole lot. But when my dad gives me gifts, you know, whether it's money or just something I've been wanting for a while or something small, I recognize that he's speaking, that he loves me. He's given me things because he wants me to succeed. He wants me to flourish and do well. You know, this can be, uh, you know, you giving, you know, someone a homemade card that you made for them for their birthday. Or uh, it can be giving them just something small, a token of affection. That's what giving gifts is. And, you know, you can understand people, when they see that, they get the gifts, they feel genuinely loved because you saw something and you thought of them. You know, you see that sparkle in their eye and they get excited for it. And, you know, I when I think about it, I really think this is one of, you know, our Heavenly Father's main love languages because he gave us a perfect gift. He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us the gift that gave us salvation. And... Well, yeah, he's all of them. But when I think about gifts, this is one of the things that really sticks out to me is him giving his son to us because how much he loves us. Uh, the second one is acts of service. And these are the people whose actions really speak louder than their words. You know, it's doing the little things for somebody. You know, it could be uh, you come home and you had some chores to do and your siblings did them for you or your mom cleaned your room or you see someone struggling with a task and you just jump in to help them. It, it's... Showing them with your actions how much you care about them and how much you love them. It's doing those kind of things for them. You know, in Mark 10.45, the beginning of it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And in Matthew, it says, The greatest among you will be a servant. Jesus came as a servant. He showed us a great example of how to serve others. You know, he was healing the sick, but he was also, you know, feeding them. Doing simple things like that. Just being a servant to them and showing them how much he loved them. You know, we often think of, of leaders as people who, you know, lead other people in the battle, but the Bible says the greatest leader is a servant, someone who serves others wholeheartedly and with joy. Uh, the third one is quality time. Uh, 
This one's pretty easy. People like to spend time with you sometimes. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one, because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, only one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if we lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A three-quart strand is not quickly broken. This is one of my top three. I love spending time with people. I love going to the movies and hanging out with my friends or going to Caitlin and Isaac's house and just playing games or sitting there and talking. You know, after a long day of work, it's how I recharge. I just want to go spend time with people. I love it. It's great. And that's good. I mean, it said right there, we're supposed to build each other up, be with each other, form those bonds. You know, even those of you who consider yourselves introverts have one or two people that you just like to spend time with. You know, it recharges you, it fills you up, it makes you feel like you're not alone. You're more, you're part of something greater. And that's what we're called to be. Something greater than ourselves. Uh, the fourth one is words of affirmation. And this is simple. Just tell somebody you love them. This is mine and Isaac's number one. We love when people talk to us and tell us how much they love it. I love you too, man. It's great. You know, I think this one is really difficult in today's society because we're so digital focused, you know. If thinking back on it, how many important conversations have you had over text? With, whether it's with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a, a sibling, something like that. But doing it over text like that, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the intimacy out of it. It takes the power out of it. You know, when you speak love and speak things, you speak them into existence. You make them real. And if you're not physically telling somebody that you love them, they don't feel it. Um, so you, you, these people feel more loved when they hear it coming from someone's voice. You know, the Bible often talks about the power of spoken words. Jesus spoke healing. He spoke demons out of people. He used power. You know, in the Bible it says his words were like a two-edged sword. They have power behind them. So telling somebody you love them makes them telling somebody how much you love them. That's how they receive it. Because if you don't tell them, how are they supposed to know? You might think, oh, well, they know by this, by that. But you've got to speak their language, literally speak their language to do it. And the last one is physical touch. Uh, to this person, nothing speaks more deeply than appropriate touch. Yes. Appropriate touch. Yes, and I'm going to say this. It's not sex. It's, it's smaller things. like It's like hugs. For me, I love hugs. I mean, I love hugs. I even have, I wore my hug dealer t-shirts. Huh? Well, yes. I do that because I do love you, though. But, yeah, it, it's, it's giving somebody a hug. You know, when you're dating with somebody, it's holding their hand, cuddling on the couch, uh, giving them a back rub or a foot rub, stuff like that that's appropriate in the moment. Yes, there you go, braiding hair. Um, you know, this one, it's kind of often, especially in the church, kind of shied away from, you know, keep your hands to yourself. Don't touch other people. And that's true when it's in an inappropriate context. But even in the Bible, God, there were certain times when Jesus used physical touch as a way to heal somebody. You know, the most prominent one was in Matthew 8. You know, a leper came up to Jesus and he was, Jesus was going to heal him. And leprosy in the Bible um, was a very, very terrible disease. It was a skin disease. It made your nose and your ears fall off. It left big red and white warts all over your skin. And it was transferred through touch. 
So this man who had leprosy probably hadn't been touched in years. But Jesus came up to him, and when he healed him, instead of just speaking, which he could have just said, be healed, and he would have been healed, he walked up to him, and he laid hands on him and healed him. And to me, when I think about that story, I think about how powerful that must have been for this leper, because no, someone who hadn't touched him, in, no one had touched him in years, and this man came up and touched him, and he healed him, and I just spoke to him probably that much more deeply. Uh, it also talks about in Mark, uh, he took up little children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. You know, it's not just speaking. God didn't just speak and use his power. He touched people because he recognized there are some people that speaks to them. That's how they feel, loved. You know, with, and with corona and everything going on, we were told, you know, six foot apart, don't touch people. And I feel like a lot of people who have that as their main love language got really, really touch-starved because they haven't been able to have that intimate connection, and that's why, you know, suicide rates have gone up and everything's been, well, terrible, honestly. <laughs> so these are the five love languages. These are how, as believers, we're supposed to go out and appropriately tell people that Jesus loves them. That's how we're supposed to deepen our bonds with each other. You know, and not everyone's the same. It's going to take time to learn people's languages. Some people are very, very obvious. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty obvious about what my love languages. I mean, I give everybody hugs. Some people aren't so obvious about it because they, maybe they don't even know or they don't realize it. But I think it's really important to understand these five love languages so we can properly express God's love to other people. So that's what I want us to do tonight. I have a test for all of you to take. Uh, it'll, it, when you go through the test, it'll ask you some questions. And it'll, you can't fail this test. I'll give you one more done. But this test will tell you what your love language is. It'll tell you how you receive love. Yes, you do. That's a lie. Don't, I know. This will tell you how you receive love. And just because this, is, this might tell you how you receive love, how you speak love might be differently, too. So you might want to take it a couple times of how you give it to people and how you receive as well. So that's what we're going to do during groups. We'll take this test. Um, so I'll pray us out, and we'll take it out. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time we've had to come and just kind of meditate on what the word love means, Lord. I pray that as we go throughout this week, you open our eyes to how we can be loving examples to those around us, Lord, that we can understand the languages people speak, how to best communicate to them your love, Father. We thank you for the love you've given us, and we honor and praise you. In Jesus' name.